welcome to Prophetic Voices Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation. Welcome back. I'm so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing some of the readings for Advent 4, focusing particularly on our Gospel lesson, Luke 1, 39-45, and Canticle 15, the Magnificat. With me today, I have three wonderful guests. The Honorable Warren Hawk Ishnala Ohitika, Brave Alone, serves his tribe as a member of Standing Rock Tribal Council. Warren is an active, lifelong Episcopalian who serves on several Episcopal boards and committees. Welcome, Warren. Tamara Plummer currently works as the program officer in the U.S. Disaster Program at Episcopal Relief and Development and hosts the podcast Pursuing Call. Welcome, Tamara. Dr. Sandra T. Montes is an indigenous Latina born in Peru and raised in Guatemala who splits her time between New York City and Houston. She holds a doctorate of education from the University of Houston and her book Becoming Real and Thriving in Ministry was published in May 2020. She is the Dean of Chapel at Union Theological Seminary. Welcome, Sandra. What is important to keep in mind this Advent? I've been thinking a lot about this question. Advent is often the new beginning season and the new, like, new year and all this stuff. And I often forget, but in reading the Collect, about the, we are preparing ourselves for the incarnation of Christ. And so much of the past two years has been very quiet and, and, kind of going into ourselves because we were forced to. And I, I think this might be the time to do it on purpose and with intention so that we are prepared for the incarnation to, 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 to really, oh gosh, to really allow space for Jesus to show up. So it's like, what do I need to unpack? What do I need to remove? What do I need to give up? What do I need to take on? Like, how do I really prepare for Jesus to show up in my body, in my life, in my community? You know, personally, um, my niece-in-law is pregnant right now. So she, you know, wow. we're having a baby for the family in February. So for me, that's a big one too. Like just thinking about the expectancy, the incredible joy that, you know, we're feeling right now because we haven't had a baby in over 25 years in our family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're super, super excited. And so that all, I can't even imagine, you know, just thinking about Jesus and like you were saying, the incarnation of Jesus coming and especially during this time, right? That it's so separate and, you know, we can't really see each other or many of us can't see each other a lot. So for me, it's just that expectation, that joyful, um, wonderful expectation. But at the same time, it could be worrisome. I know that Mm -hmm. I have a couple of friends who are also pregnant. And, you know, they keep telling me that, and I've heard this before, that they wonder, is the baby going to be okay? Is the baby going to make it all the way through? Is, you know, so there's that fear and, you know, like the trying not to be fearful, but it, it is constantly there anyway, especially right now, mm. with again, being separated from family and, um, you know, wondering what could happen uh, since we haven't been in hospitals, et cetera. So, yeah, so I feel like that those are just a lot of, in Spanish, it's like, um, 
what do they say? Like, um, like feelings. I can't even think of feelings. Tamara, help me. Sentimientos. Yeah. Well, sentimientos encontrados. Okay. No, they're all, all of them together, meeting each other. And I think that may be something that we're all feeling this afternoon. As as native indigenous here, I, I I've been thinking a lot about uh, our traditions and the way that we were taught growing up, and how our people always prepared themselves mm. for things. Mm -hmm. They prepared themselves for winter. They prepared themselves for for different events, uh, uh, annual events. And uh, there's a certain certain amount of excitement in that preparation work because you know that that winter time is the time to for us to gather and tell stories and be with family mm -hmm. and and um, in this modern time, you know, it, it's it's just it just it, I don't think we've changed as a people from generations, but that there are, are the means and and venues and things that we uh, make use of um, are the only thing that changed. You know, our hearts are still with family and our hearts are still with, with prayer. You know, our, our whole, our whole existence was, uh, was co coexisting with uh, our spiritual lives and I know when I get with, together with my family, there's always prayer, there's always burning incense, and there's always laughter and, and everything we do. And, you know, we even, we even have it like a talking circle as a family just to, just to uh, ground ourselves back to one another and draw ourselves back to one another. And to me, that's, that's what... Uh, Christ would have us do, you know, the strength is in our families. And as, as indigenous people, we've always believed that. I read an article just recently that said something, something to the effect that um, we were labeled as a warrior culture and, and very uh, aggressive in, in terms of uh, uh, how, how a different society would see us, but that we envision ourselves not as a warrior culture, but we envision ourselves as a family culture mm, mm -hmm. because there's a word called teoshpre mm -hmm. and that that's family and uh, everything surrounds that when we when we talk about our, our government and our leadership and, and things, but that alone isn't enough. It's always coupled with our spirituality and our beliefs. Mm -hmm. and, and so for me, that hasn't changed. And being a part of the church, it just sort of comp compounds that feeling inside myself, and and so I often go to to church, to church functions, and I feel a strong sense of spirituality. I really feel like the power of the Holy Ghost is there, mm. and among us, and and so thinking of this Advent season, especially coming through that first year of the pandemic and and still dealing with it and as a government official for my people there's still that big concern you know protect mm -hmm. 
we have to protect our people some way. And um, I don't know. I, I, for me, it's, it's just really, it's it's exponential in, in feeling and, and, and that vision that uh, he's brought us through this, brought us all through this so far, you know. Hmm. So those are some of the, and I go a lot on my feelings. So <laughs> I, anyway. You mean theological reflection. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think that the church can be that teospray too, right? Teospray is like meaning the larger family, not like a nuclear family. And so I think sometimes I often think of the church like and the anticipation of coming together. Like when we have convention, I know I get to see Warren, for example, or other people from the church that I haven't seen. And it's like being with your siblings and friends and it's just a great, a great time. Um, and I think that kind of makes me think of the gospel when we're, you know, in the story of the gospel, uh, Mary runs, runs with haste to Elizabeth and um, she's going to her family. And uh, where do you, where do you connect with this story, the story that we hear today in the gospel? I didn't know if I would say it this way, but I, this Tiosh idea, I was just talking to somebody recently about chosen family, particularly mm. in, in like queer theology kind of way, like that we choose, we have our family we are born into, but we also create family based on maybe our our family that we were born into not aligning with us in particular ways or being as supportive or feeling like family all the time. And mm -hmm. I have, a, mm -hmm. I also at the same time, I'm hearing a lot of people coming out of pandemic and being disappointed with people's choices around um, dismissing mm. the human family and then deciding to just retreat into themselves and into their own families. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that a lot, which not about the gospel, but <laughs> that, that is, that is what is coming up for me. And then in the God, when I read the gospel, what came up for me was the Texas decision around abortion. Um, hmm. Cause it made me think a lot about how we do family planning as a single woman with no babies at 40 and no partner, like, it comes up a lot about family planning and 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 having a child or not having a child and all kinds of forms of, of birth. And so when I was reading it, I was thinking a lot about who gets to control or who gets to choose what happens yeah. to my body and whether yeah. or not I come into the world and questioning whether or not I have decided I don't necessarily need a baby. And so like, like the challenge against that, that somehow I don't have a family because I'm not partnered mm. or have a child. Like what I, I'm thinking a lot about that right now as we're talking. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of Teoshpai and, and Isaiah, you touched on that quite a bit, you know, as, as Lakota people, we always have to establish some type of relationship mm -hmm. in order to to uh, connect with somebody, and and so we always address each other by by whatever relationship that is, whether we adopt each other as brothers or uh, an older person would be, you know, an aunt or an uncle or mm -hmm. you know. Uh, there's always that necessity to establish some type of relationship, um, and even the word kola which is our word for friend, 
it it translation it it's not uh, friend just is doesn't seem to satisfy the word itself because kola means has the greater meaning is is that you would do anything you would sacrifice yourself for that person and defend that person to your death that's the intensity of that word um so when you call somebody kola you really need to mean it you know mm-hmm. um, but uh i i was you know um when they greeted each other and and uh you know uh, i thought about my my mother and my grandmother and my aunts and my great aunts and and things and i sure missed that because i was visiting with the with a couple of other gentlemen earlier this week and it was funny that they were talking about this but we were talking about how our elderly women even if they just were gone for a day and they would come together they would greet each other in a way that they it, they acted like they hadn't seen each other for months and they would mm. hug each other and and they would have, give out these expressions like they really missed each other and then they would laugh and just be joyous you know mm-hmm. and and so you know i thought of that also when i was reading, reading mm-hmm. the gospel you know for me what it brings up a lot too is how the joy that Elizabeth feels and you know just to see Mary um with knowing that there are good news and I know that you know the society for some reason sometimes it's like you know you get a lot of people that are not often joyful when you have some good news that fear also I've heard fear of people saying like I don't want to post this on social media because I don't want to jinx it or I don't want people to, you know, say negative things or send negative vibes towards us, et cetera. And, and, you know, and I also have felt that, you know, sometimes like that little hang of, oh, look at them, you know, getting ordained or look at them getting married or whatever, that it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, and of course I have to have those come to Jesus moments with myself and, you know, just like, girl, that just because it happened to somebody else doesn't mean it won't happen to you. You know, the life is so filled with so much. So, mm. but I love that, you know, just having that joy, having people around you that you know you can go to that will be completely joyful for you, um, I think is very, very important. I love that it shows these two women being that for each other. And because, you know, a lot of girls, like we just fight or are jealous about each other, et cetera. But, you know, is that sisterhood that, that I know I long for, you know, to be able to have women around me that are joyful for me, that are, uh, and that I can be joyful for too. So I love that, just that joy between them, you know, not even thinking about the babies, but just them being joyful for each other. Sometimes I think about like, you know, Mary being told she's going to have this baby and it's out of wedlock and there's all this, you know, that's, I think, kind of scary. Um, And maybe sometimes I think, in some cases we might have been like Mary where we get this message maybe from God or maybe from someone else that can be scary, but we just kind of have to face it. Or maybe sometimes people come to us to see if we can support them because they've received a scary message. When was a time that you've been in one of those two situations? I will say just because I just wrote my thesis about this was reflecting on, I was sitting on a rock in Nelson Pond at music camp in the middle of Nelson, New Hampshire, 
And I said, God, let's do this discernment process. Like if I'm called to priesthood, let's go. And I dove in the water. It was like this beautiful, like I had a whole theatrical moment with myself on that rock with God. We are, I think we're 12, 13 years later. I am not ordained. And I'm doing exactly in some ways, a lot of ways I'm starting to live into what God called me to, but absolutely not in any way that I had imagined that calling to be. And I was scared, like frightened. I remember being extremely frightened when I was told to change careers because I had invested in mm. student affairs. I had mm. done all this stuff. And, and now I was feeling called to come back to New York to restart my career, to possibly take pay cuts. Like, <laughs> Scared out of my mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you something. I had uh, I, I moved back here about five years ago now, and um, I did it through prayer. I had I had my home in Oklahoma, uh, my family in Oklahoma, grandchildren, everything. Um, had a really good job, really good career. Been, you know, making pretty decent money and and uh, really happy with my life. But in visiting with my mother on the phone, uh, knowing that things were missing, um, she would repeat herself, she would uh, say off the wall stuff. And I felt like something was going on with her. And uh, one evening I just knelt down and prayed, you know, Lord, you know, do I need to go home and take care of my mother? You know, I have, my life is really, really awesome right now. And I'm just loving it. I don't know that my skill would be marketable on the reservation kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So there I was and looking through the website for the tribe, lo and behold, there was the exact same job. <laughs> Granted, it was a cut in pay. And I thought, this is my answer, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I didn't hesitate. I mm. jumped on it. I applied for the job. For me, it was a spiritual journey home. Mm. Uh, and uh, I don't regret it one bit because I was able to be with my mother for the last couple of years until she left, you know. So I was able to take care of her and mm -hmm. be able to reconnect with her you know, um, and have some really heartfelt conversations one-on-one. -on -one. So um, anyway, but why I stayed here, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm still here. <laughs> so, so I think it's been a blessing. Mm. Mm. It's been a blessing for us, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I think that happens a lot, especially when um, I've mentored youth and, you know, young adults, especially mm -hmm. uh, Latinas um, and indigenous Latinas. It's been, you know, that whole fear about people believing us and understanding uh, whether it is a pregnancy or it is other things that um, are scary because, you know, we have so many rules in our traditions. And when you're a woman, a lot of times um, you're expected to be a certain way. And when you're not, people don't like it. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think, you know, I've tried because of my own, you know, stuff too, that I've been through, you know, just, I try to believe and understand and then help in whatever way that I can and be the support, which is what I hope, you know, for other people to do for me when I'm in need also, or when I'm going through mm. some scary things, um, and yeah, because I remember right before this job also, it was a very, you know, I felt like there was a change going to happen. and But then I applied to different positions and all of them were no, no, no. And it was scary. It was, you know, just like, am I not hearing God correctly or, you know, what, what's going on? You know, speak to me, Lord, because I'm obviously not understanding what you're saying. And, but then this position, you know, just appeared literally what felt like out of nowhere. And, you know, so it was just one of those things to be able to, to accept it. You know, I really like, uh, Warren, you're talking about, you know, just in haste, like you just believed it, you know, you believed you, you asked for a sign you, cause you know, I don't know about y'all, but I'm always asking for signs mm-hmm. and then, but I see the sign and I'm like, okay, okay, but no, no, no. Let me ask for another sign. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, let me ask for another sign to confirm the sign that I don't believe is a sign, you know. And but I really like that, you know, that faith where okay, this is a sign. I'm gonna go with it, you know. And mm-hmm. that's hard. That's difficult for me to do at times. So thank you for reminding me of that. That it's like in haste. I'm going to do this. I'm going to look at the sign. I'm gonna go for it, and then just wait on God to reveal more to me i just ask god for brick walls like that's the only way i'm gonna pay attention like well i ask for god to close doors close because i want to go in all of them i want to you know oh this is shiny i'm gonna go there oh this is cute i'm gonna go there Mm -hmm. (laughs) i ask for god to close doors and then but then when god closes doors i'm like "Ah, why'd you close that Right. I really like that door. Why'd you close it? Yeah. Hmm. So what what messages do you think uh, our church or maybe your congregation um, might be receiving that we struggle to hear or that we struggle to live into or that we don't? You know, Shaniko, I was just invited to be at the Diocese of uh, Minnesota to speak with them. And one of the things that in the pre-work, um, you know, I mean, we heard during the pandemic, you know, after uh, George Floyd's lynching, we heard, oh, this is a, an awakening, not only for the country, but for our church, the Episcopal Church, you know, we're going to have a racial reckoning, et cetera. But it honestly hasn't really happened. As far as I'm concerned, what I've seen at the church, you know, like there has been maybe some kind of movement, but it just seems like we're still in kind of like, you know, this mode, you know, just flatlining. And Mm. so one of the things that I had to challenge them because, you know, they're in the middle, right? I'm like ground zero of, of, Mm -hmm. uh, and they were like, well, you know, we just know that it was, you know, the, the, the murder then got us all, you know, to go protest, et cetera. And I was like, you know, I've always said, you know, this may sound very pessimistic of me, but I'm like, I feel like people were bored. You know, it was the middle of the pandemic. We weren't allowed to go anywhere. But yet when the protest started, a lot of people went out and, you know, Mm -hmm. but then the same people and including some of my, 
people that I love in the Episcopal Church, then that was it. You know, it was just like, oh, I'm protesting today. Oh, but look what I'm eating tonight. You know, right. it was not anything that was like, how do we keep going? What, you know, how do mm. we hang on to that and say, we're not going to continue with this. We are going to move forward. And uh, and the same thing happened with pandemic, right? I've heard, you know, what was a, an opportunity for our church? It was that we had morning prayer and we could have used lay people more than we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is such an incredible uh, time for us lay people to be able to preach and to be able to be mm-hmm. with people, be able to lead because there was nothing that we couldn't do for morning prayer. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and yet, you know, it's been almost two years and, it's, and it hasn't, we haven't gotten further. So for me, I feel like we've been missing these, like us, you know, a lot of times these signs, these uh, like brick walls, these reminders of this is what could, what the Episcopal Church can do. Now let's do it. Let's be, you know, let's go in haste. Let's not be afraid. Let's be, you know, supportive of each other and let's continue to do it. So I feel like, you know, I feel like God's trying to speak to us. And I don't, and I don't believe that God speaks to us like through lynchings and through murders. Like, I don't think that they're necessary for us mm-hmm. to wake up. Um, mm-hmm. It can be transformed though. That bad thing can be transformed. Right. Exactly. And let, because that's what we believe, right? We mm-hmm. believe in transformation in resurrection. So how about we act as though we mm-hmm. believe those things? Right. It's, it's amazing that you would say that, that, to me was was very similar to the message during our diocesan convention this year. The bishop uh, spoke about Wolakota, and to me, Wolakota is everything that is Lakota. And and uh, the message came forth because for us, what was significant for our people was was the uh, the discovery of children burial grounds, the 7,000 plus now graves that were being discovered at these residential schools. And when those were first, the first 638, I believe it was, that were discovered, uh, there was silence. Mm -hmm. There was silence from the church. And I felt like, you know, when are you going to say something about this, you know? immediately our congregations were rallying and they were saying, you know, when is, when are we going to hear from the church? What's the message that they want to tell us? You know, we, we're looking for recognition. We're looking for acceptance. We're looking for, for um, justification. um, And an apology, apology, everything, you know, uh, and the first message that I felt like we received was, well, that's really the Catholic Church, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and I thought, no, 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 no. You don't see it from our point of view. Mm-hmm. We are indigenous people and we see religion as as one whole thing, yeah. you know. And and whether you're Catholic, whether you're Episcopal, whether you're some other Protestant faith or or whatever, um, this has to do with religion mm-hmm. and how they approached and converted our people and the dealings they had with mm-hmm. our people. 
and how the government used the churches mm-hmm. to sort of corral us and, and assimilate and do all those other things, you know. So uh, it didn't matter to us what faith you came from. We wanted some some dialogue. We wanted some conversation. And so I think even now, um, still having to deal with some of that stuff, I know that uh, what I'm sensing from from all sides is is that we know now that we all need acceptance and we all need recognition and we all need that affirmation that we are all children of God and that that in God's eyes, he doesn't see those differences. He sees his children. And, and um, I think that message is... Uh, probably no more stronger now than it has been before um, for us anyway as indigenous people we struggle and uh, because we're torn mm. we're torn we we hear the the protests you know down with religion and you know all religions are are not good for our people let's decolonize and let's uh, uh, go back to our traditional ways and things and and for those of us that grew up in a church and, well, grew up both with mm. the church and with our faith, with our traditional beliefs as well, you know, we kind of struggle with that because we respect both. We've, we've seen the, the parallels in, in our beliefs, traditional beliefs, and the parallels in our Christian faith. And, um, you know, so it's... It's a, it's kind of a struggle, but but those are the things that that challenge us, I guess, and um, so we stand up, I guess, and we just speak out. So I do that when I can. <laughs> I'm on diocesan council, and I speak out there. You know, I sit on the Indigenous Ministries Advisory Council, and I speak out there. Um, on our reservation here, I'm chairman of our mission council and I speak out there, you know, I sit on our tribal council and I speak out there and, you know, I try to to advocate for unity and peace and, and that, that Jesus loved all of us. And, and uh, I even, I even went so far as to say that, well, you know what? I we all why Indian people relate with Jesus is because he was indigenous. Mm-hmm. Mm. He was an indigenous person. Mm-hmm. And, yes, and um, that's why we relate. I, as y'all are talking, the song that's coming into mm-hmm. my head is "On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand," and I think what has happened to church is that particularly pre-pandemic, we kept looking for the shiny object that would attract people back to this institution. Mm. And we ha- we were coming up with all the magical ways that we could attract people to the institution. Mm. And then God said, what y'all do on Sunday morning will not be happening for, mm-hmm. for months. All the things you thought were important are not important. Everything, like disasters 
force us into new imagination. Mm-hmm. And so the question mm-hmm. is not, how do we get back to what was before? The question is, what new imagination was created in that time that we need to be taking forward? Exactly. We mm-hmm. solved homelessness yes. during the pandemic. All of a sudden, we, could, we figured yeah. out what to do with homeless people. Really? But we never knew what to do with homeless people. Like, we figured out that maybe our sanctuary could be used for something other. Like the, the Diocese of Vermont, I, I, went, I used to live there. So I went up to visit in, in the summer and they had service. What was lovely was they had stopped having worship inside the building, but they did not close their building. They opened their building to a BIPOC, like queer friendly clinic hmm. so that people could get good health information and could um, get vaccinated. Nice. But they were not rushing mm. back to worship in person. They the, yeah. the day I was there, they happened to be worshiping outside in person. But like they knew that worship was the BIPOC clinic on Friday, mm-hmm. not just yep. what they did online on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I think that like how do we do see our whole life as liturgy, see mm-hmm. our whole being as liturgy, instead of trying to figure out how to how to fix liturgy or get back to liturgy or who's in charge of liturgy or think about power structure. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I don't, I almost like. Don't want any more arguments about BCP advancing only because I think, I think we focus so much on what is happening on Sunday morning. And there's like all of this space that got opened and cracked and broken and invitations made by the divine to really like sit in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Like what would Jesus do for real? Not some like colonized white supremacist messed up confused idea of what Christ is, but what would the risen Christ do? And then we did it. And then we got afraid <laughs> because equity was happening in the world. And we were like, Oh, <laughs> we too wrapped up in empire for this. Let me, like, so, <laughs> so I would like us to be unafraid again. I would like us to remember what it felt like to yeah. be in, in April, in Easter Sunday of 2020, and how we reimagined what it was to be church, and I would like us to dig deeper yeah. into that. That's what I would. That's what exactly. I dream yeah. about church. Yeah, Pre- then we wouldn't be arguing about whether or not we should do racial reconciliation work, or how much do we bring along people. Like, if people were deep, like if you read the Bible, people, you would not be mad. <laughs> about <laughs> critical race theory or any of like just go read some james cone and some gutierrez <laughs> and then get your life together or something <laughs> <laughs> thinking about that like um the magnificat like i just I, that's one of my favorite things and i love that we read it at evening prayer usually um where do you see those parallels between the magnificat and what's going on in society or in your own life or Wow. See, I'm angry right now because I have been, I had taken a hiatus from NPR and then I started listening again and I realized what was happening in the world. Mm. And the part that I'm struggling with is I'm really mad at God because I, every time I think we have the capacity to, to fulfill the Magnificat, somehow we have people trying to figure out how to go to space while a whole country is about to go into starvation. Mm. And I just, I mean, I support the man 
by getting packages from him. Hmm. And like, <laughs> what is my role? What is our role? Where are my investments? Like, I'm just thinking so much about what is in my control, what is not in my control, so that we can fulfill what Mary has prayed. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, do, I don't see a clear or good answer. And I have so many friends whose answer to that question is to become the powerful, is to become the mighty, because they can't see another way where the mighty will fall. So my heart's, I don't have good news right now. I apologize. (laughs) That's okay. That actually made me think of the Psalm, the Psalm 80. Um, It talks about pain and lament. And I think it sort of says that it's okay for us to be angry with God. And I know that there's been plenty of times I've often, as a chaplain, had to give permission for people to be angry with God because they think they can. I'm like, it's okay. She's big enough. She can handle you being angry with her. She yeah. is almighty, all powerful. You can be angry with her. It's okay. And uh, and then once I think they hear that, then they can sort of take that and then they can start to 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 yeah. reconcile that anger with maybe hope or peace or whatever it is they're mm-hmm. looking for. Um, at this moment in my life, I am magnifying and rejoicing with God for some personal, you know, things that are happening in my life and and it's just beautiful. It, it is just wonderful. And yes, you know, there are those other things that are so big. And God knows, God knows I'm often angry with God and, you know, calling them out and all that stuff. But today, I do feel that. One of my best friends was just um, elected bishop of Ecuador Central and you know, and, and he was seen as the lonely, you know, he was seen as, uh, the, the person who, um, was like, uh, you know, being controversial and he, all of these things. And yet God was like, it's okay, girl, you got it. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. You know? And so for me, that's just beautiful. I, I praise God for that. And, um, you know, and even this, I, I also think like this, the Magnificat is also in a in a spot where she was scared. So it's almost like, you know, fake it till you make it. So let's, you know, try to, you know, say these words and because they will come true. Because at that moment, you know, it wasn't happening, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was nobody was being brought down from their throne. I mean, it was, you know, it was that kind of like the, this is what I believe. This is what will happen. This is, you know. I'm praising you ahead of time. I'm praising you before it happens. I'm praising you because I know it's coming. It's on the way. And so, you know, that that gives me hope. I'm so glad, Sandra. Give me some of your hope. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So I had this conversation with uh, a couple of uh, priests this past weekend. Um, And I had I had brought up this topic of the Lord's Prayer and how we use that as, you know, because the Lord said, pray after this manner. And then he, we say the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, use that as an outline to pray, you know, that we address our Heavenly Father or however, you know, and we expound all these wonderful things about our, our Lord but then we also give thanks after that 
We give thanks before we ask. So on a bad day, it's really hard to be thankful for a whole lot of stuff, you know? <laughs> and, and so the challenge is, is to be thankful and grateful for everything that we have. And I often get a chance and opportunity to pray during our council meetings to close out our meeting. And at the end of our meeting, sometimes it's the worst time to really try to feel good because we've been yelled at and we've been, yeah. <laughs> we've been accused of all kinds of underhanded political stuff and <laughs> you know I'm and I'm sitting here and Lord help me pray for these people and help me pray for myself <laughs> and, <laughs> so but uh, so that's always been my challenge is is to always be thankful for things and and um, and, and so I even the simplest things once I start saying thank you and grateful that that I have my grandchildren's health, grateful that my children are doing well, and um, thankful that I had an opportunity to spend time with my mother when I did, and and thankful that that I have a home, and uh, well, you know, I mean, two homes <laughs> now. Mm -hmm. It's you know, it's it's an amazing thing once you once you start making a list, mm -hmm. and then. Um, uh that joy that joy leaps in your heart then and and you know like mary said my soul is magnified then um that helps us to become more christ-like when we work with others especially mm. when i work with others especially so. You know what, Warren, you're making me think a little bit about like, also, what are my expectations, right? That, that, um, yeah. that part of the, the gratitude practice is not just about changing my, like, so that I will change my mood, but also yeah. to have different expectations. Like if I am somebody who mm -hmm. has been sleeping on the street and been cold, getting a warm coat, even if it's not shelter, is like, Mm -hmm. A completely trans that is that is like me being raised up out of my my difficulties exactly. in my very comfortable yeah. apartment <laughs> that I got a paycheck today for to pay rent on and all of that. What is yeah. what I, I have space to think about like global poverty, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is a different way of of recognizing how god is moving in the world how how do we reconcile the church with the magnificat because i think so often when we're doing like the sermon they'll be preaching on mary and preaching on elizabeth and we never put ourselves in the role that we might be the mighty that need to be cast down from our thrones and how do we reconcile the church that has often been that mighty peace with with this with this magnificat for me, I, I, I see, I, I, I challenge myself and I think, you know, it's not Sunday, I'm not in church, you know, Monday morning at work. And how do I represent the church in myself? How do I represent my faith in myself? And uh, what would, well, what would Jesus do? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But <laughs> I, 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 
I'm not sure I care that for that saying so much, but yeah. uh, um, you know, it's it's always a challenge, but for myself, it's 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 at the forefront of my mind because I think, um, especially understanding traditions of my people and and how we conduct ourselves with one another, um, the the big th- the big part of our traditional way is to to speak in a way as to not offend anybody. Hmm. You know that that we have to speak in a manner that shows that we care about the person even if we can't physically help a person or we have to say no you know that um we do it in a way that that uh we don't defend them and and that's my challenge mm. too um is is uh is that um reservation is is uh there poverty is so high here um, and I realize that there's people that don't enjoy the life that I enjoy um, there's people struggling just just to kind of get by you know they're they they're struggling with addictions and they're struggling with with uh, generational traumas and and personal traumas that that uh, uh, you know um, I don't know. I, it's 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 kind of a hard thing to explain, but uh, it's also difficult to to search for the compassion mm-hmm. when you realize that somebody sort of put themselves in a situation, and and then I have to go back to try to put myself in their shoes and think. Had they made this choice, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Or had they made that choice, you know, how did they get to where they're at? But what I think you're talking to is there is a tension between what is the church, like um, womanist theologian, help me out here, Sandra. I feel like I need to look at sisters in the wilderness, anybody? Hey, Episcopals, this is producer Polly here. The name that Tamara is searching for is Dolores S. Williams. Back to Tamara. Okay. She talks about the, like, the, 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 the church invisible, which is, we are all mm-hmm. the church. All us humans mm-hmm. are the church. And then there's the church institutional, our canons, our laws, mm-hmm. our clergy, our discernment processes, all of that. Yeah. And we, I think the tension is constantly that the church invisible is in a polarity or in a intention at times with the church institutional that is very much wrapped up in empire and also could be a tool for dismantling it. So that, so that Mm -hmm. how, how, how does the church invisible inform the church institutional so that it can be a tool of liberation and freedom Mm. and being a part of the, like I, in some ways I love that a Trinity wall street joined Walmart mostly to get rid of the gun policies at Walmart. Right. Like, they joined the board. They joined the empire, and then they took down. They worked really hard to take down stuff, right? That that there. I don't think that it has to be. This is good. This is bad. Or this is what we want to achieve, and this is not. But I think it's a little bit more complicated and constantly always in conversation and intention. Hmm. Yeah. I also think about 
what would Jesus do, but not in the quote unquote white evangelical way that I grew right. up with. But more like literally, yeah. what would Jesus, that indigenous, black, probably queer in my eyes, definitely, definitely queer. queer, you know, mm-hmm. right? what would, you know, what would he do in situations? And, and I often also wonder, I mean, I, I'm sorry to say, but I, I'm certain he would not be Episcopalian. And, but, but I'm in the Episcopal church, right? So then I, and, and I've searched, you know, I've, I've gone to different places and, and I think this is where I'm at. I feel I'm called to, you know, call out the church as often as I, 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 I can, or I have to, but it's that hope, you know, I, I do feel that we have, you know, these great, uh, canons that do want, we do want, uh, for every single person to be whole, mm-hmm. for every single person to, to feel included. We, those are the things we really do want. And that's our core. And I just can't wait till our actions show it, you know, and, and really show that every single person really does, does matter and count mm-hmm. and, you know, that the whole organization uh, believes it. And I know, you know, I'm probably not going to ever see that. And that's fine. Like, you know, we have to continue to fight for whatever my, you know, my little, you know, in Spanish, uh, it's, she's going to be my granddaughter, you know, in Spanish, that's how we say it, you know, like uh, tia abuela. So she's my grand uh, niece. I don't know if that's the same thing in English, but, um, you know, maybe she will be able to see it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not able to, I would love for Ellis to be able to, but I, you know, we have to continue to do these things for the, you know, for the future. Mm-hmm. And so for me, yeah, I struggle with it all the time, especially when I see different things that the church does. I mean, today, you know, Bishop uh, shared a picture and it's like, look, you know, I love the dream team. And it's eight white people on there, you know, and it's like, wow, that's not the dream team I want to look at. But OK, so, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, when are we mm-hmm. going to start like just looking at these pictures and thinking, you know what, this may not be something that I want to share on social media. Maybe, you know, how can I make it so that this really looks like, like what our church looks like or mm-hmm. what we hope that our church will look like, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. So I struggle with it every single day, but again, I try to uh, surround myself with people who, who will continually challenge me and also will help me to see, you know what, that may not be going exactly right, but look at this other stuff that the Episcopal Church is doing that is following on Jesus' footsteps, mm-hmm. you know, so. Is your work to fight from the inside or the outside? Mm-hmm. And some people, their work is to fight outside of the structures. They are very good yep. at mobilizing outside structure stuff. Yep. And some of us are fighting in the inside. What we often yep. forget is that in the civil rights movement, so too was happening, that there were those who fought mm-hmm. in the inside and those who fought from the outside. The difference is they were in conversation in a basement somewhere making strategy together. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the other part is, is like the, whatever your gift is, how can we develop strategy together? Right. Right. And you know, the thing is though, Tamara, when I, when I have thought about that too, the people in power though, that's, that's the bad thing about the Episcopal church too sometimes or any organization is that, you know, we reach a certain place and all of a sudden we're like, I don't want to mm-hmm. lose that. Mm-hmm. I want my money, you 
you know, I need to survive, you know, I need to pay for my bills. So I'm not going to challenge the, the, the structure that is paying mm-hmm. me. But mm-hmm. there are several of us who can do that. And I'm still hopeful. You know, I'm hopeful for this general convention that's coming up. You know, when people ask me, why do you remain? You're always criticizing the Episcopal Church. I'm like, because I'm still hopeful. I'm hopeful that one day, you know, we will finally just say, all right, we're ready. Let's do this. I've been attending these Zoom meetings, and I'm on the uh, joint nominating committee for the presiding bishop. There's this conversation going on uh, and uh, comments back and forth. To me, the work is to prepare to accept a new bishop, right? Mm -hmm. To to review all of those that that are putting themselves forward as the next presiding bishop of our church. Um, And for me, it's a spiritual thing because really you got to pray about these people and and listen to them Mm -hmm. and who about who they are and and. But but uh, I get to these meetings and there 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 there's discussions about well how do, how are we going to organize ourselves are we going to have one or two conveners or do we going to have a chairman a vice chairman or so they they decided well we think we need two at least two conveners so we all agreed about that and then all of a sudden the discussion came up well you know what we have the laity we have clergy we have bishops. And I think each one of them has to be represented as a convener. And so <laughs> they're talking about this organizational thing. And and I'm thinking, come on, let's just, we just need a convener so we can just get moving forward, you know. The convener's job is just to sort of help pull us together and help moderate our discussions and mm-hmm. help us just, but, but each, each entity feels like they need to be represented. It's, in that convener role and i'm thinking oh my goodness my goodness mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm really nervous honestly i'll be very honest with y'all the person that i was hoping for is actually in the 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 committee so she can't put her name out there but also you know that in itself is talking about systems in place that that keep us mm-hmm. out how many mm-hmm. of us would put our names out there? Right. You know, how many Latinos, how many indigenous people? We don't do that. We wait to be invited. We, you know, so that's that's another uh, part of it where, you know, for bishops and for rectors, I mean, we have to put our names out there in the Episcopal Church and that's difficult for us to do. So, you know, those are things that we also need to think about. Why do we continue to do these Western, uh, you know, just colonized yeah. things yeah. that mm-hmm. us out? Why do you have to know the system to be a part of it? Right. Right. Or why do people freak out? Like I've asked people like, why aren't you mentoring a person of color as a white person with a lot of privilege and then just literally mentor them throughout the whole process. Don't just start, you know, put their name out, but continue with them throughout everything. Let them ask you questions or let's have a committee that actually helps people so that they can learn how to Mm -hmm. navigate Mm -hmm. this. You know, but we don't. So it's it's like, it's it's difficult. It yeah. you know our our system is really difficult. So so I try to put myself out there and say stuff like, as an indigenous person, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how I see it. <laughs> right, that's good. That's good. Well, it's the it's the yeah. it's also the idea that 
process is the work. Like I sometimes think that we, we, I know that those conversations are annoying about conveners and stuff, but really, if you had, if you had a good convener, the person would point out that actually that's a conversation about power. Is that, right. is that, mm, is yeah. that actually what we're afraid of is that certain exactly. voices will have more power than others. So how do we set a precedent mm. as a community about how we distribute yeah. power and decision-making processes. Yeah. And, the, and, and the idea that we each have an equal voice, mm-hmm. you know, irregardless if we're laity or clergy or mm-hmm. a bishop, you know, mm-hmm. our voice is all equal in that committee or should be. Right. So, so mm-hmm. as you're thinking about um, Advent 4 and the Luke and the Magnificat, uh, what preaching ideas do you have for, or ideas for preaching do you have? For this Maybe option one is you don't preach. <laughs> mm, yeah. Option one might be okay. I just I always stand on the soapbox. I'm just going to stand on my soapbox. I need okay. less people preaching. I need more people giving space for people to make connections. If we take it back to the beginning of this conversation, mm. if you're actually in person, if you're actually meeting together, even if you're online, you could do this. What are ways that you can have people preach with each other? What might be the mm-hmm. Mary Elizabeth experience of good news sharing Ooh, that one could like do that. for their sermon? And you just set it up. Mm-hmm. You get people to have their Mary and Elizabeth moments of sharing and praying out the good news. And you close everybody up. And you don't say mm-hmm. nothing. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like stuff like that. Um, now, if people do want to preach, I do. I would hope that they would ask um, females mm-hmm. th- that voice, that female uh, or non-binary voice, and the marginalized, because I feel like this is exactly what that's about. You know, this is about giving voice to to people who are often silenced. Mm. You know, I would encourage people to do that. But I do love Tamara's idea because I feel like that would be that's such a beautiful way to get into now we're going into Christmas. You know, now we're mm-hmm. we're about to get there. How do we all prepare each other and help each other with that excitement, with that joy, um, or sorrow? Because I know mm-hmm. a lot of people also suffer a lot during the holidays. You know, how do we hold that but as a community, right? To and and that's one way to do it, Tamara. You know, I, I one of the things that I always think about churches is that we don't ever get to speak unless it's the peace or, mm-hmm. you know, the beginning and the end. But we, during the whole service, we don't speak with each other. I like that idea, too. Giving voice to those that probably want to be heard, you know, just giving them a voice, a place to speak. Mm-hmm. I think... One of the things I like, I often, like in my role now, I, I don't serve a, a church on the regular, but I do a lot of supply. And most of those churches are really small. And that's one of the things I love about a small church is you can liturgically experiment a little more and nobody's going to like get on you about it. They're just happy they have somebody there. And, you know, and it's just, and so I've done that before. I just kind of do like the little intro and then I usually have like a question. I just, and so they have the people do the sermon because there's only like, you know, six or seven of them. Like, what's the time that you felt like blah, blah, blah. And then they just share and I have like maybe like a little sentence or two to wrap it all up. And they've preached the sermon and I didn't have to do that much. And, um, and it's, it's, 
I just think it's wonderful because then they're getting to know each other and they're building relationships, which is ultimately, I think, the key of the gospel is the relationships we have. I know, Warren, you talked about that earlier. And I think relationships are um, that idea of, you know, when you talk to somebody, you want to always talk to them in a way that still preserves that relationship, um, whatever that might be. Thank you so much, everyone. It's been great having you. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Warren, Tamara, and Sandra. Thanks to our production team, especially Chris, Phoebe, Nick, and Polly. If you felt the spirit in our conversation today, I'd love it if you would rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Until next time, let your light shine.